you wanted the best, but you're shit out of luck. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. We're here to waste some of your time and hopefully entertain you for a little bit. So thank you for letting us into your head. Hope we don't do any damage. Welcome to episode 5 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us and spending some time with us today. Um, The panel this week is Alex, Lonnie, and Jay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, you know, thank you all for participating in this. Um, our topic today is pretty straightforward. What do you think is the most overrated and the most underrated album? Um, and we'll do this in two sections: in the makeup era and in the unmasked era. You know, uh, two very different kind of uh, periods for the band. So. I'm going to kick it off because I changed the topic at the last minute uh, and, you know, got to give everyone a, a chance to rethink their whole plan. So um, everyone who joined in episode one saw my introduction um, about when I got into the band. And for me, one of the most highly underrated albums in the band's whole catalog, not just the unmasked period, I'm going to hold it up. But for everyone who's listening on Spreaker and iTunes, you know, this album really should have been listened to with your eyes shut. Because when everyone sees this cover, they have preconceptions, they've got attitude about this album, simply, I believe, because of the cover. And I think Paul Stanley once said, everyone seems to listen with their eyes, and maybe this album is most representative of that. Asylum. I love it. I'm I'm guilty. I hold up my hands. I'm an asylumite. You know the the asylum album was um, my dad being in the navy. He was in Japan for a few years in Asia, and that was one of the first CDs he picked up. And so that was actually one of the first kid CDs, actual like CDs I would listen to, and stuff. So it's a good album. I like the Wants to Be Lonely. I think it's an underrated track off the album. Yeah, and and for me that's. Again, it, it's not just that it's the air that I got into the band, because I hate the visuals, other than the stage that they had, which I thought was extremely cool. They, they looked like every other band around that time. I mean, Paul Stanley had obviously raided Dee Snyder's you know, wardrobe at one point. Gene had obviously you know, continued to raid B. Arthur's. Um, you know, visually, it's a very unappealing era though highly colored, so they're kind of using shock and awe for me. But the music, King of King of the Mountain, what an incredible, you know, bombastic start to any album. Two power ballads on the album, Tears Are Falling and Who Wants to Be Lonely. Unbelievable. I think they're extremely high-quality songs. Obviously, Tears Are Falling didn't quite make it as a hit. And then... The rest of them are even Gene's starting to come out of his stupor. Um, you know, Animalize had not been a good album for him. Asylum, I think his material's far, far better. And the production, I think, is much better um, for not having an external producer. So, Love's Deadly Weapon is a great song, in my opinion. I know it gets bashed a lot, but I think Love's a Deadly Weapon is just, it's, it's really fast, it's really hard, it's. it's a great gene tune that you hadn't gotten in a while up until that point. And I know it's made like it's under it's not really popular with a lot of in fan bases, but I I like that song. I really do. And I think it's one of the better tunes Gene turned out in the eighties. I think uh, Trial by Fire is an underrated anthemic um song off the album. 
Yeah, over yeah. overall, I think it's con- it's more consistent. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, all night is, you know, well, looking back twenty five, thirty years later, what what can you really say about a song like that? I mean, it is it is what it is, but it was very rooted in the time. Loves a deadly weapon, you know. Obviously, it had been around since nineteen eighty one. Very cool song, I think. I've I've always kind of looked at at Asylum as really kind of a almost a companion piece to Animalize. Not only uh, because of I guess because there were two albums there at, at this point that well going back let's just take a step back. Actually, what I, what I really think is that when you look at the track list on Animalize and then you compare the track list on Asylum. There's almost like, you know, you've got Under the Gun on Animalize, and then you've got I'm Alive on uh, Asylum. Then you've got, like, I don't know, there seems like some of the songs, there's, I don't know, there's similarity, I guess, in some of the songs. So I, I always kind of look at that as almost like they had that template for Animalize and just copied it over to Asylum and then tried to come up with something uh, in a similar vein. I don't know. It's just because, you know, I've had enough, and then you have King of the Mountain, um, so I don't know. That's just always the way I guess I've always. Maybe, at, maybe it is so. a bit paint by numbers for the template Paul Stanley, Paul Stanley in particular, guiding the band at that time. Um, I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. But um, I think if it is a paint by numbers album, it's certainly better ex- executed than Animalize was. No uh, doubt about it. And yep. may, maybe that comes down to Bruce. I think the guitar work on it. Um, you didn't have the Bumblebee Mark is a very unique style and when you listen to all the work tapes that go on into the animalizer um very very different bruce brings it reins it back in a bit but still has all the technical um vocabulary to really fit in for 1985 so that that's you know i i, I love them i'm alive any way you slice it as well great album i want to say i was like uh I was so intrigued with Paul Stanley's biography that he had, like, I think he had, like, two photos from the Asylum recording sessions. So I thought that was really cool. I wish he dived in a bit more on the album, at least on, on, a, on a biography and stuff. But I thought it was cool to see those photos from the session. And what a great video for Who Wants to Be Lonely. For, uh, what, I was 14 years old? <laughs> yeah. I, Absolutely. I, 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 I remember the video. <laughs> Did, did you mimic the outfit and go to school with the outfit? Because I feel like that would have got you beat up. Going <laughs> for a Michael Jackson thriller jacket to school or something. <laughs> All right, so that's that's my first um, underrated album. Um, who are we gonna pick on next? Alex. All right. Um, I guess underrated album for me. Uh, we'll go into the non or with the, the makeup side first for myself, but I think it's underrated. Some people, it's it's overrated, like what Paul said. Some people can't get enough of it. Some people, it's always too much. Got to go with the elder. Um, I just I think it's um, you know, I guess like with that with kids, uh, they always say it's not maybe the best representation of kids, but I think um, them showing their diversity, um. It's just, it's a great album. And I don't know, did any of you guys see the movie The Giver at all? Um, never never heard of it. It was a movie, it came out like two years ago, but it was originally a book, I read it in 8th grade. And I remember getting The Elder on CD in 8th grade, and I thought like the soundtrack pretty much lined up perfectly with the book. And it was just like this epic trip that I had with the book and the movie. 
Um, you guys should definitely check out um, even just Wikipedia, the plot line to the giver, and then, you know, give the elder to spin. Um, I just thought of the production. I'd love to hear, you know, I think Ace has mentioned he's got, like, some of the original tracks with his lead guitar work and stuff, and so I, I would love to hear what he had there. I'd love to hear the the dialogue that remember on the on the FAQ message board, his FAQ message board, you have like the script and stuff and it's like, oh my goodness, I, I would just pay whatever you paid for that script, just sit down and just read through it to see what it was fully about. But I think, you know, like tracks like the Oath, um, and I as an anthemic song. And I think Ace's track, uh, Dark Light is this underrated song that I wish had a little bit more representation on some of the best of yeah, if if you ignore, I guess, uh, just a boy and fanfare, and kind of ignore um, the attempt at a plotline or reading a plotline into the album, overall musically, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, I always rave about I and uh, the unsung anthem that could have been, but the oath, what a fantastic track! I remember. I couldn't find it living in upstate New York and getting into the band in 85. That album was nowhere to be found. I finally had to trade like Van Halen 5150 and a Def Leppard album to a kid for a two-for-one to get a beat-up cassette. And just hearing the oath was incredible. Great, great song. Well, do you guys real quick, do you remember when they had like the kids trading cards like in 98, 99 time frame? Mm-hmm. I remember getting like two packs and one of the cards was, they had like the album and one of the cards was The Elder. And I remember I was always so intrigued by the song titles and stuff because it had like the track listing. So I remember being, I was, I remember going to a record and tape traders in Maryland and I saw the album there and I was just like, this is what I'm getting and bought it. And so it's just, it's a cool album and uh, it's different, you know. I think that's the, the fun thing I like with kids. I'm not the biggest ACDC fan and my friends always seem shocked and I'm like, I don't know, all that stuff sounds the same to me. I mean, they're good songs, Back in Black's a great album, but they all sound the same. And the thing I like with kids is they've at least always branched out and, and, you know, call it what you will, them trying to stay with the times or whatnot. But I like the fact they changed, they changed a little bit and, and, you know, stretched themselves. But does it suffer from a packaging challenge like Asylum then? You know, the brown, nondescript, uh, what was it, 19, 1980s record shop camouflage, you know, in those wooden wooden dividers it just camouflaged itself in you know as much as i love the elder look i don't think you know having a cover like the killers cover would have helped them out either with the bright pink too though so um i don't know i i did um but i've always liked the photo that they did with the white background like the four of them were standing there kind of in different positions i don't know if they did a cover like that if that would have changed things or not well like the turkish elder bootleg that that's kind of cool but musically, good album. It's a heavier album too than than it gets credit for. You know, it always gets labeled as being just a concept record. But the oath is really, really heavy, and and so is I. And I think it was a really a starting point of them returning to their heavier roots after doing Dynasty and doing Unmasked. Um, that you could start to see the the heavier side of the band start to creep back in after they turned pop in '79 and '80. Which isn't bad for not really having aces uh, tremendously involved. I mean, that that's probably the one thing it really misses, as good as Paul's guitar work. And who knows? He suggested or alluded to there being other guitarists on there, so who knows who is doing all that guitar work. 
And I'll say this real quick, too. The, the performance of the Oath on the Kiss Cruise, I mean, that double bass that Eric Singer does when they performed it live, I mean, it's just super heavy. So we could, I, I personally could rave about that video of Paul doing uh, the Oath on the Cruise every single episode. It'd be like, Paul, you nailed it. Paul, you nailed it. You know, haters, eat it. He nailed it. So, all right, let's let's move let's move on. Jay, you're in the my center window, so oh boy. Uh, let's throw you to the wolves. All right. Well, uh, I suppose for me, the most underrated Kiss album I'm going to start with makeup uh, would be Unmasked, and the reason I say that, um, you know, it's I think it's safe to say that it's definitely one of the more polarizing Kiss albums, much like. Um, the Elder, or in maybe some other instances, Crazy Nights, or uh, Carnival of Souls. It's it's one of those albums that Kiss fans have a strong opinion about. Um, I think it's a great album. I mean, the production is kind of glossy. I get that. Uh, there's a lot of pop songwriting going on there, but I think the songwriting is actually really killer. And I I'd almost venture to say that uh, Unmasked is Kiss's one and only power pop album. Um, and even though I'm not a big fan of Vinnie Poncia, especially on the production side of things, um, I just think the song is loaded with great writing. Uh, it's, it's a departure from what people remember or what people, I guess, expected, uh, from Kiss, but the writing was kind of on the wall anyway. I mean, it really, to me, Unmasked was sort of the inevitable conclusion that the band were arriving to after, after doing Dynasty. Dynasty was really the first time I think Kiss, or at least in my opinion, the first time Kiss really started to pay attention to trends and looking for more of a mass appeal um, with uh, "I Was Made for Loving You" and all of that. Uh, but you know, I don't when you know when uh, Unmasked came out. I don't know. At first, I guess it was tough for me when it first came out because it was so different from what I had expected. Uh, but then, you know, a few years later, especially like after Crazy Nights, it really made me sort of reevaluate where that album falls in the Kiss catalog. And uh, I mean, you know, it's different. I get that. But how can you hate songs like Tomorrow, um, Talk to Me, Two Sides of the Coin, Naked City, which I think is an amazing song. Uh, I even like what makes the world go round, you know, barring the keyboards, of course, but it's a, it's great songwriting. So I even like Torpedo Girl. I mean, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know I'll probably get slaughtered for that on, on the FAQ, but I like the song. It's got a great groove and it's totally Ace. I mean, that is totally Ace's sense of humor coming out. And that's something you rarely really saw uh, from Ace on any Kiss album. In fact, I, I might venture to say that's really the only song of its kind as far as just uh, the mood and point of view. Um, so, you know, I love the album. I think it's nearly a perfect album, with the exception of maybe You're All That I Want and Easy As It Seems, which to me are the oh, two songs that that's one have of my the favorites. quality writing. Okay, kill me now. Go ahead, Julian. <laughs> the demo of You're All That I Want that's on um, the box set, I, I listen to that a lot, actually. I like that. It, it sounds so much better than the production that ended up on unmasked the album though when i got the box set and i heard that i was like wow that's how that song's supposed to sound not the so garbage how i ended up on the album you you're all that i want is right up there with read my body for me i can't stand that yeah, song uh, 
that easy way. as it seems has a funk to it that's very unusual for kiss um for me it's just it's got a different feel to it i mean it, it's it's makes me think more of r&b just the underlying rhythm on it you know love the song but gene his lyrics on this album naked city and she's so european he's actually he seems lyrically adventurous he's he's expressing himself in a much more uh subtle manner than you know hump me you know he, he's writing some topics uh, well, no, he- you know, she makes love on a brass bed. Is that is that, is that actually the lyric? I've never looked. She makes I love on a brass bed. Is that what it is? A glass of wine of pink champagne. Well, <laughs> all of that's better than backbone slip. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> out of the frying pan, into the fire. And torpedo girl, I love that. It, it's quirky humor that they just never really the band. Maybe they were too serious in that kind of mold, but that is so ace for what he was doing. I mean, what's the other song he did around the same time with Crazy Joe? Eugene, you know, absolutely kooky kind of uh, songs, which are just what you'd expect from Ace off the wall. But and that and that riff, just the riff in itself, is just so unlike anything else that Ace has ever done. Uh, So it's really, to me, just I think it's a standout song. I know that it catches a lot of flack from Kiss fans. I guess you have to have a sense of humor, maybe, to appreciate it. But I always, I always really championed that song. I always thought that it was sort of a dark horse in the catalog. But the whole but, album's not really power pop. Tomorrow is certainly power pop. Um, the rest of it is that you always loved that song. I when I first heard the album, and that was the first song. I was like, wow, this is going to be a really cool album. Then it kind of went downhill with Shandy for me. But uh, you know. This album, again, is Ace Being Strong. Three very strong Ace tracks, just like the predecessor. So, yeah, it's a, it's a cool album. I'll tell you, when I saw, I got to see Ace twice, once in 2007, right before he started the Rocket Ride Tour. So I remember going to see him on the opening night of the Rocket Ride Tour. I think it was like February 19, 2008. And I was up front, I got to meet the band and Anthony Esposito, and he was super cool. But I remember I was right in front of Anthony the whole show, and he had top of these takes. But I remember when he went into the bass like did that medley, on the tour, and I remember when he did the bass line to Torpedo Girl, and I was like, no freaking way, they're doing a song for my mask. I was wigging out, and I had to see like, them doing it live, though, I gave it the whole appreciation. I mean, that bass line to Torpedo Girl is just, I, I have fun playing on the bass here on campus and stuff. It's just a fun one to play. Yeah, it's just a fun song. And Talk to, <laughs> talk to Me was what, done in 2001 uh, during the yeah. Japanese leg of the Farewell Tour days. Great song. <laughs> Back to Torpedo Girl, I had that on. My wife is not a big Kiss fan, but I had I was playing Unmasked one day, and Torpedo Girl came on. And she's in the car with me. She's like, she she just doesn't appreciate it. She goes, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" And he goes, <laughs> and he goes "Come on, get your feet wet." And she goes, "Okay, no, just stop it right now. Just turn on something else. This is ridiculous." <laughs> Sadly, I think there are a lot of Kiss fans who have that exact same reaction. So she's not alone. And, and I will say this, you know, I mean, I, I know Kiss is doing the acoustic Delaware show, but if they want to do a fun song for the acoustic Delaware, if they did you all that I want, though, like they did on the demo, that'd be kind of cool to see on, a, on an acoustic Delaware. Sorry, Julian, but I agree. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm going to just remain quiet on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lonnie. All right, my most underrated Kiss album, I'm going to start with the makeup era as well, is 
Dynasty. Um, I know Dynasty gets a lot of flack from Kiss fans as being the disco Kiss album, the first of the pop albums, but really the disco Kiss album. And I think once you get past I Was Made For Loving You, which was one of the last songs they brought in for the album, but I think once you get past that song, there's a lot of really good heavy rock songs on there. Um, And at the same time, I'm not saying it's one of my top Kiss albums of all time, but I just think it's an underappreciated album. Like, songs like Magic Touch and Save Your Love and even Dirty Living, I think, are really just kick-ass songs. And, yeah, the production is kind of lacking because of Vinny Poncia being the producer on it and giving it the more of the uh, pop-ish and disco feel. But, like, Magic Touch, I think it's just is one of my favorite Kiss songs. And, like, when Paul brought that out on the Live the Wind tour, and he played that, oh, it sounded so great. I, I thought it was just, it's one of my favorite songs. And the fact that he brought that out, Kiss had never played it before. It's just, it was, just made that whole concert worth it. And, you know, Ace getting three songs on the album um, really showed Ace coming into his own as a songwriter. And then, the masterpiece on the album, in my opinion, it, it sure knows something. It's, it's just a classic Paul tune. Um, really sounded like it could have ended up, you know, almost on like his solo album from the year before. Um, it's just, Dynasty, Dynasty wasn't one of the first Kiss albums I bought. I had to go back and, and buy it because I was born in 79. But going back and getting Dynasty and listening to it, and I knew it had the, the reputation of being the disco Kiss album. I, I always liked it. And, thought it was underappreciated yeah it's a it's a good album i mean ace well two out of three ain't bad for him and i guess one out of three is a cover uh not a big fan of hard times but save you love save your love that is i think one of ace's possibly best songs within kiss just it's it feels like him at the height of his songwriting in the band um everything after that you know the the three songs on uh on uh, Unmasked didn't really get better than Save Your Love for Me. 2000 Man, great, great cover, great interpretation. I Was Made for Loving You. I, I just don't see that as disco. I, I just can't get my head around that being called disco rock. Um, it's got a beat, so um, it's it's more dancey, but I don't. it doesn't feel disco to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know if the rhythm, I mean, I guess, you know, Maybe the rhythm could be considered disco. I never really thought of the song as disco, but I, looking back, I can hear major disco uh, influences in that song. You can tell that there was a very conscious, deliberate um, plan when writing that song. Maybe the song, maybe it in the beginning, that song was not even intended to be what it ended up being. But um, you listen to any of the, and I'm not a disco fan, don't get me wrong. Don't mistake this, but uh, Giorgio Moroder, when you listen to the stuff that, which he was pretty much like, he was kind of, I guess, um, you know, a lot like maybe some of the big prominent writers that are popular now. He was saturating the airwaves. There were so many of his songs, Donna Summer. I mean, there was a ton uh, that were popular all around that time. And Giorgio Moroder always had kind of a signature style about the way uh, the hook was done and how it was, how it was. Uh, inter- injected into the song and the chorus to I was made for loving you with the sort of the, you know, the ooze in the background, totally, uh, that's totally a Georgie, Giorgio Moroder 
riff. That's just something that you did. Uh, if you listen to some of the old disco around 78, 79, you'll hear bits and pieces of that in the I Was Made for Lebanese song. So that's, to me, that's I, I consider it a disco song, but I'm just not a big fan of the album. I think X-Ray Eyes stinks to high heaven. It's absolutely horrible. Um, and Dirty Living never did anything for me. I don't know. I just think this... I think there's a lot of weak stuff on there. I love Charisma. Uh, I really enjoy Ace's contributions, and I think Sure Know Something is one of the best written Paul Stanley songs ever. Uh, the rest, I don't know, take it or leave it, I guess. What about Charisma? Charisma. Really, I love kind, Charisma. Kind of, kind of pulsating. You know, that, that's, that's, again, Gene really going into a different kind of uh, style. So. It was a change of direction for Gene from the last Kiss album when he's singing... Christine 16 and he's singing Love for Sale for him to turn up a song on a Kiss album you know with charisma is a really different direction for Gene at that point but do Kiss fans have a problem with uh, Dynasty and Unmasked because of the musicians on or not on the album I mean Gene is alleged to not play a whole lot of bass on either of the albums with you know Paul and Ace allegedly and I, I just don't, have never seen anything substantiated on that doing bass on their own tracks of course Peter's drumming on both albums is fantastic on the one <laughs> song he plays on um, you know is, is, is that why these albums are you know kind of held um, in more of a negative light yeah and you know they're kind of seen as the beginning of the end or or the end period the end of the original lineup but um and that could be, and I think a lot of it too is maybe the image change that the band had at the time, going into the Super Kiss image with the with the capes and the bigger costumes, and real, Kiss really became a a family type band where you had more and more kids showing up to the concerts at that point. And meanwhile, ACDC's doing Highway to Hell and Back in Black, <laughs> and it just kind of you know they kind of yeah. lost a lot of their hardcore fan base. At the time. Uh-huh. That's what kind of got me. Real quick, Bonnie, I think they like my T-shirt. Very nice, very nice. Um, you know, I remember being, I think I've shared it before on the message board many times. Um, I remember being like five, and my dad had that great Kiss VHS Extreme Close-Up, and it had the clip of the show or something video. And my dad, he had the Les Paul, and I remember seeing it with Ace with the cape and everything with the Les Paul, and I was like, and being a five-year-old kid, I was like, I don't know, they're a rock, so they're like, that's a superhero with the same guitar that my dad has. That is awesome. And then, exactly. so, so I love sure know something. I mean, when he did it on the Unplugged, I was like, you know, even as a kid, I was excited because at the time, that was my favorite song. Uh, Dynasty was one of the first CDs I bought um, on, on CD. Um, you know, I, I wish they, um, I wish he could, they could go through and if there was to be an album that do like a Resurrected, I would love to hear like a Resurrected version of like the Dynasty or the Unmasked. And real quick, I don't know if you guys noticed though, when you mentioned the periods, though, I'm, I mentioned the Elder. Um, Jay, you mentioned Unmasked, and Lonnie, you mentioned Dynasty, three consecutive albums going back. Is, do you think there's like a period of time, or why maybe just that period of time is completely underrated at all? Yeah, it's underrated because of Paul's purple blouse. <laughs> <laughs> that that dynasty that Dynasty album and those costumes. Uh, I agree. I hate. Wow. I, I think they just they went too far. I think yeah. the black and silver was such a good look for the band. Uh, I'm a sucker for the more simplified look, so if I had to pick, I would totally go back to 74 and do the uh, 
do the outfits from the Hotter Than Hell tour, uh, just because of I don't know they just they looked they looked more ominous and more threatening and more dangerous as a band. And I just feel like Dynasty that period of time was sort of Kiss I guess um, second guessing themselves and and maybe letting other people into their heads. And yeah. So the next thing you know they're more comic booky and maybe a little more mainstream, more Vegas. And yeah, it just kind of ruined it for me. I don't, you know, now that you mention it, you know, yeah, I could see maybe this period is underrated in some respects, but it's definitely a dark period for the band for sure. There's some good music, but you know, it's so safe, you know, if anything, those unmasked and uh, dynasty need less keyboards and more cowbell. <laughs> Amen. Sure. All right, so let's move on here. Uh, I, I think I'll take up the gauntlet for what I think is the most overrated um, album of the of the makeup era, and people are going to shoot me. I'm going to hold it up. Love Gun, I think, is so overrated in comparison with the five. What was it four? No, five studio albums that came before it in the makeup era. There's just too much filler on this album for me. It, it's stuff that does not work. It does not feel fully realized. Um, I think the production, Love Gun, is the crazy nights of the 70s. It is just so sonically neutered to me. Um, it's just too sterile sounding overall. But it's the material. And I just never got into stuff like Hooligan, Almost Tube. Plasticaster, I think Then She Kissed Me is an absolutely atrocious and dreadful cover, and Got Love for Sale didn't do a thing for me either, so that's half of the album Tomorrow and Tonight, just paint by numbers attempt at Anthem it has nothing going for it for me but, the high points on the album I Still Your Love, Christine 16 Shock Me, and Love Gun are really high those are I, there's no denying where they sit in the Kiss catalog. It's just the other songs on it I find are substandard crap. That sounds that sounds so that polished. Hurts. Yeah, it, it, it's it's, it's like hurts. it's like a turd that's been polished in some ways to me. Even though the tour is one of the greatest tours of the band's history, um, the album is just is a victim of the two albums per year rushing material out. I think a lot of those songs could have been far better. Like not writing tomorrow and tonight would probably be a good start for that one. Um, <laughs> wow. Man, I love that song. I think it's amazing. Now real quick, I gotta ask, cause I love the, uh, I love the library of the still love, but I can't tolerate the studio. Do you guys hear that beep at the beginning that plays in the song? Like next time you listen to it, like the first verse, you hear this beep that just goes yeah. off and, like, I was actually hoping when he did the, the deluxe edition, it was going to be removed because they, like, remastered the album again. And it's still there. I, I kid you guys not. Go listen to I Still Your Love. And, uh, and like, within the first or second line of the first verse, there's this, like, random beep that pops. Yeah, I hear that. So. Wow. I need to and check that just, out. And, and, I, and, like, it ruins the song for me. I'm like, well, there goes the good song right there. You guys did a bad job of recording and mastering there, so. But for me, I mean, in the first episode, I sang the praises of Rock and Roll Over because that I, I like the gritty sound and I like the material on that. And I remember, you know, other, other panelists were saying, well, you know, that one's, the you know, overrated. Um, but Love Gun, Love Gun's supposed to be the height 
of the band, really. But I say, give me the stuff off the uh, the studio side of Alive too, any day of the week. If you took those five songs and re- replaced the five songs I just insulted on Love Gun, you have a a killer 1977 album without having to be tortured with "Got Love for Sale" or you know, "Almost Human." I mean, Plastercaster is humorous, but I just don't think it's a very good Kiss song. Hooligan, I'm I'm sorry, that is just dreadful so kiss fans um i'm I'm ready i've got the target i'll just put it right here put one on my back as well i am not i think love gun is overrated and that's probably why i ranted about the deluxe edition as vehemently as i did apart from the poor uh selection of uh bonus material so yeah Uh, you know it's for me you know when i look back on my on my fandom with the band i mean you know, I jumped in real early on, um, so I have a hard time separating my, uh, the record and my attachment to it because I was at the height of my Kiss geekdom uh, with Love Gun. That, to me, I wouldn't say it's my favorite album, and I don't think it's the best album. Man, you know, Almost Human. I think the Gene Cuts in particular are some of my favorite on the record. I think Almost Human is an amazing song. I think it's just killer. Uh, so very different from anything that Gene had done up to that point. Some might consider it sort of to be the natural progression from God of Thunder, but Gene didn't write God of Thunder. So um, I think Almost Human is really about the only character-driven Gene song that really uh, ties in with his persona uh, that he wrote himself. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think God Love for Sale is, is killer, um, and, you know, I, about the only song on the album that I'm not a real big fan of is Then She Kissed Me, although I think the guitar solo on that is very sweet. I think Paul did a good job, um, even though it's real simple. And, uh, you know, that's really about it. Hooligan, maybe, maybe two. It's another one that's not real strong, but I love the rest of the record. And I think Tomorrow and Tonight is totally underrated. I think a lot of people give it uh, a hard time because it seems to be almost a Shout It Out Loud part two in some respects, but, you know, I think it's got a great hook. I could have lived without maybe the female backup singers in there at the end, but apart from that, I think it's got some great energy and a good hook. I never so, understood why they went to the Crystals. Just Is it just because of Kissed Me being in the title? It just it's just it just doesn't make any sense, because they were capable of picking cool covers. Look at 2000 Man and Any Way You Want It. You know, great bands to cover. So... I mean, it seemed a lot of the bands in the 70s started doing stupid covers. I mean, Aerosmith did uh, Remember Walking in the Sand. The, uh, differ- yeah. the difference for me between Aerosmith and Kiss's covers is Aerosmith's actually worked because Walking in the Sand, I think, is a fantastic one. And Then She Kissed Me is just crap. How that ended up on the album and not something else. I mean, it looked like, you know, that's there's only nine songs on Love Gun and... and Looked like they just threw it on there just to fill up time, but wasn't wasn't Julian Mulemo this more than the rest of us? But wasn't Rocket Ride demoed for Love Gun and they didn't use it and they ended up using it on Alive too? Or is that not accurate? Um, I don't know on that one. I think Rocket Ride he he, he said he wrote on the way to Japan or oh, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Part of that, but but I don't know. You would just think they could find something else to, to throw on there instead of, instead of that demo to end it. And it's really kind of you you listen to that at the end of of love gun you can just you can almost kind of sense the change that's coming within the band that 
that they're throwing that on there at the end, and then you look at the next the next Studio Kiss album is Dynasty, and you know you you do hear the change in the band. But I don't know. I I I really Love Guns really partial to me because, um, like Jay was saying, um, it goes back to how that album came into my life too, and why it's important to me, why I like that album so much. It's one of the first albums I had on on cassette tape as a as a small kid, and I wore that thing out. I mean, it done it to the point that I didn't even play anymore, but I still have it just for sentimental reasons because it's one of the first kiss right things on. that I owned. So I was really excited when the band started playing Plaster Caster on those shows they did um, in Mexico, and then they did it on the cruise. I was really hoping that they'd continue on and play it in Vegas when I went out there, but they didn't. I was kind of disappointed, but uh, I I really like and. I was excited when they did Almost Human on the cruise a few years ago, too, that oh, it's one of those songs that I, I grew up, just grew up listening to. And it's like, oh, it's great. But I'm sorry. I, I love Love Gun. It's, it's a special place in my heart. Yeah, it was cool to hear both of those songs, both of those songs live. I just don't hold them in very high esteem. And there's that copy of like an early version of the, the album's back cover that has a song on it called See You Baby. I'd love to know more about that. And, I know. and then as far as Then She Kissed Me, I, I just wonder, did Peter have a hand in that? Did he have a tantrum or something and say, I want to have a cover? Because I don't see Paul or Gene or Ace having any connection with 1963's Crystals music, yeah. whereas that seems to fit more in yeah, with the doo-wop of Peter's early yeah. career. So that I, I, don't know, I don't know whether it's, I'm adding one plus one together and getting three, in which case, Peter, I'm sorry. And if not, uh, <laughs> you know, we'd love to know why. Yeah, I mean, I certainly couldn't see Eddie Kramer saying, hey, guys, really, you know, you should consider bringing in a, a girl group song to close your album. So, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a that's a mystery, for sure, where that song... So out came. there, we'd, we'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. Why on earth or how did Then She Kissed Me get on the album? So that would be a, a great one to have a conversation about. All right, let's let's move away from uh, the the hate I'm going to get on this on that, <laughs> on that choice. I, I, I'm going to hide a little bit for a bit. So uh, move on to Alex again. Um, I think the most overrated, and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this one, is uh, the, the the all-time classic Destroyer. I think it's I think it's an overrated album. Um, I don't get me wrong. I I love. I love Detroit Rock City, King of the Nighttime World. I love the resurrected version of it, the 2012 editions of it. I think Beth is a great track, but I, I don't know. Sweet Pain's never done it for me. Flaming Youth, it depends upon the time of the month and the mood I'm in uh, for a song. Um, Alex, I think we're losing your connection here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear static on the line. <laughs> um, I, You know, Do You Love Me? I just... I, I, it wasn't, I tell you what, though, the Kiss, uh, the Kiss Symphony with the, with the symphony, I thought that was a great representation of those songs. Like, I, I, I love King of the Nighttime World with the symphony, Detroit Rock City, that one, too. I think it's a great hit. I just, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's just overrated by how much everybody likes it too much. And then I just, um, God of Thunder on the album, I, I tell you, I would love a version without Bob Ezrin's kid. I'm sorry, Bob Ezrin, if you watch this video, I'm, you know, just offering to put your kids on the album. You know, it's like throwing on the original version of Sweet Pain with Ace's solo. Can you throw on the original version of God of Thunder with Ezrin's kid? You know, it's stupid sounds. I, mean, I think it ruined the song, in my opinion. So, 
that's just me. I'm sorry, guys. Wow. Uh, I mean, you have, I, a, you have a you have a different perspective because you know you weren't there when the album came out. But what's unique about what's actually interesting about you, what you said about Destroyer is that that is exactly what about ninety percent of Kiss fans thought when Destroyer came out in 1976. I remember when it came out. It was actually the first Kiss record I owned. I'd been a fan already for a couple of years, so I already knew what to expect. When Destroyer came out, that was such a hard curveball that it was difficult to digest. So what you're saying actually doesn't surprise me because a lot of fans felt that way. And I guess if you maybe were more attached to the makeup era, it might be harder to say that. Uh, Obviously, you're objective enough to see it for what it is. It's definitely a different Kiss record. It's definitely a huge departure from from what they uh, you know, sounded like. There's no other Kiss record in the catalog that comes close to sounding like that. Well, not the SG and everything's an ex-destroyer. Come on. Oh, I know. I, you know that's, that seems to be sort of, yeah, just the, the thing to say. But yeah, I think Destroyer's an amazing album, but I can totally understand why some Kiss fans even today wouldn't be blown away by it. But that, like I said, too, the live version of the song, so X, I just think the studio, I guess I'd say the studio album of the song, I, I could feel that, I'd rather feel like it's the Kiss Symphony version of those songs, or um, I love the Life 2 of Detroit Rock City and Seeing the Nighttime War 2, I think those are great representations of the material from the album. With the exception of Sweet Pain and Shout It Out Loud, I love that album. Um, just... I, I know that they've said, you know, uh, Paul was calling Bob Ezrin every day, leaving messages after the album was done, before it was released. They were freaking out. They, they were listening to it. They probably let some people hear it. And like, oh, my God, that's so different from what it was. And they, I think at one point they were even talking about trying to get Jack Douglas to remix it because it was just too polished, too different. But Detroit Rock City and King of the Nighttime World is probably the strongest one-two punch on any Kiss album. Totally. But, but as Jay says, you know, you you could read the reviews and you could read letters to the uh, in, in the newspapers in 1976, and the original fans of Kiss were absolutely split by this. Yeah, you know, it, it it you know it was that first fracturing of the Kiss army as the band went from something dangerous in leather to something artistic. So yeah. while it stands as everything is measured next to Destroyer. Um, it was you can look at it kind of as the first kiss album. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a big departure with having a, a boys choir in the background of great expectations, you know, coming off of a really just plain rock album with Dress to Kill. You know, it's it's it is a it is a change, but I gotta tell you, Destroyer, it to me was my introduction to Kiss. My brother had had a cassette of Destroyer and that's how I discovered Kiss and Destroyer is just a masterpiece in my opinion it's it i said on the first episode that i was on that revenge is probably my favorite kiss album majority days of the week but a close second to that is destroyer i destroyer it's it's short it's only like 35 minutes long but it's to me it's just it's just epic the only thing that really bugs me on the album was finding out that king of the nighttime world was a cover was Was that yeah. just that bummed me out so much because I'd always loved that song. I was like, "Wow, I mean, who are these Fowley and Anthony guys? I've never heard of them before." Uh, which, of course, I hadn't. And you know, rest in peace, Kim Fowley. Uh, but Hollywood stars, there. Yeah. Go out on YouTube, check out their original version 
And just as you can hear on the box set, listening to the demo of God of Thunder, uh, the demo of Detroit Rock City that circulates out there that JR played drums on, um, you can see what Bob Ezrin brought to the table with those songs. Um, vast, well, not vastly different in the case of King of the Nighttime World, but just so much fully realized. Very cool song, but Hollywood stars obviously, you know, be given kudos for writing that song in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I I think the thing about Destroyer is that really Kiss did not have a defined image as a band until Destroyer. I mean, sure, they had the makeup and that's iconic and I understand that. But the Destroyer was really the first realization of the characters within the band. You had songs that were very directly connected to the personas that they were trying to, um, you know, trying to sort of relay to their fans. Uh, and Ezrin obviously was very tapped into that and aware of that. I think Bob Ezrin is uh, just a genius. His work with Alice Cooper, uh, very much the, in the same uh, way that he did with Kiss, he helped develop Cooper's uh, persona. Um, and the songs were just more sophisticated. And, uh, you know, I think he did the same thing for Kiss. I think that, yeah, it was a risky move. And I definitely think that they probably lost some fans along the way when that album came out. But man, Kiss would not be shit today without Destroyer. I hate to say it, but that was really their breakthrough record. I mean, Alive for sure, but Destroyer was really the first time where they were able to cross into mainstream America and elsewhere, you know, and uh, become a household name. Yeah, without without Destroyer, they would have been a one-hit wonder. It would have yeah. been it would have been Kiss Alive. Uh, as much as we can't go back in time. But for Destroy to be a hit, you know, thank you, Peter Chris, Or thank you, Stan Penridge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Stan Penridge and Peter Chris for, you know, Beth. Because that album, all the singles were bombing from Destroy. I mean, Flaming Youth, which I love as an anthem. Great song. It. Detroit Rock City, again, great anthem. Horribly butchered single. Um, yeah. But great song. Shout it out loud. All of them, you know, Shout Out Loud made it to uh, 31 in the U.S. charts. So you can legitimately call it a top 40 hit. But Flaming Youth, 74, Detroit Rock City did not chart. Beth, top 10. So yeah. Beth was somewhat the uh, the saving of Kiss's career. And, well, that says it all for that album, really. Well, like I said, I, I don't hate it. I just think it's overrated. And Gary over at, at Podkiss, don't hate me too much for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Gary doesn't hate. All right, Lonnie. All right, well, I'm going to get it too. I'm going to get it from a guy known as the Sphinx because I think this album, oh. Pick It Up, is overrated. Ooh, that's painful. Painful. Well, you know what? That hurt. You guys also said Destroyer's overrated, so, you know, here it comes. Uh, I, said it, I said Destroyer was overrated. You yeah, it, it, it was him over there. It wasn't me. Yeah, I'm that guy. Uh, I got to own hating on Love Gun, so uh, we've, we've all got our uh, load to bear. Well, I don't dislike Lick It Up, but at the same time, I don't, high, I don't hold it in the high regard that a lot of people do. And because of my age, because I got in the kiss when I was four with Animal Eyes, Look It Up wasn't one of the first albums that I went and got. I probably didn't get Lick It Up till I was, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 years old. Um, you know, being a junior high kid and being on a 
fixed allowance type of income, you know, I had to pick and choose which albums and, you know, which I wanted to get. So Lick It Up wasn't high up there. Um, but I did know the song, obviously, because I had Smash the Thrashes and Hits, so I knew Lick It Up, and I knew the video from MTV. Um, but to me, when I went and got, I finally went and got it, my first copy of it, and it it wasn't that memorable to me. Um, and the, I just didn't think that it was missing the, the catchy choruses, the catchy riffs, and man, I say catchy riffs, it's missing that, I'm really going to get it from the Vinny fans, but... Um, and then Julian, when I first joined the KISS FAQ and I first started getting on, in on chat boards, I saw that people place this album in such high regard. And I thought, well, maybe I'm missing something about Lick It Up because I don't listen to it that much. Maybe I'm missing something. I'll go back and listen to it. I listened to it a few times and thought, no, I'm not missing anything. I just don't get it. So, and I do like, you know, and... I do like uh, A Million to One. It's another song that Paul broke out on that Live to Win tour, and I thought that was awesome when he played that live. Really gave the song some justice that it deserved. But look it up to me, just, it, I just don't get it, why it's so great. And I love Creatures, but I just don't understand why it's held in such high regard. I don't know. I think Give we're I think we're gonna throw you to the Vinny fans, and uh, you know, you're 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 about to get anked. But uh, I love I love lick it up uh, for the most part. Exciter, great starting track. Again, they were on a a run of picking the right first songs on the mid '80s albums, and and for that matter, Creatures. I mean, four albums in a row, absolutely fantastic album uh, starting tracks you might say it's all downhill from there depending on your perspective of that era not for the innocent um i think the creatures version that we've only heard in the last few years absolutely blows the uh, lick it up version out of the water but i think Vinny absolutely shines he's restrained it's not his yeah. insane um Vinny vincent invasion guitar playing it is just extremely solid and if it didn't need an extra note, he didn't play the extra note. Yep. Um, the, the lyrics that he brought into the band, I mean, he's got, what, 9 out of 10 co-writes on this, or 8 out of 10. He, he's on just about every track. Um, and you hear the lyrics, because obviously we've heard the Warrior demos, and we know which lyrics came from the songs, but they're, you know, Lick My Candy Cane, you know, just kind of, you know, innuendo, and, and just the structure of his, his lyrics. You know where Vinny's involved there, because he had such great um, pop sensibilities on how to write a good lyric. So I, I, I utterly disagree that it's overrated, with the exception of and the on, on the Eighth Day, which I can't stand. And maybe yeah, that. I think I think the album, you know, I consider it far and away. I'm not like saying that Lick It Up is the greatest album ever, but I, I do think far and away it's uh, for me the greatest non-makeup record the band's ever done. Yeah, I just think that, um, and I was resistant to like the album because I think the first single absolutely sucks. I have no idea why Kiss still plays Lick It Up. Well, I mean, I have an idea why, but it's really a shame uh, because I think it's such a such a flat and uninteresting song compared to the other material on the record. Aside from that, and maybe Dance All Over Your Face, which I still dig, but maybe not on the level of the other songs, I think the album's super strong. Um, 
I think the production is amazing, so much better to me even than the production on Creatures of the Night, which I thought, you know, that even though the heavy drums were cool, uh, it was almost distracting in, in places. So I really feel like Lick It Up was uh, just a, a, a better album. Um, I think it's a great album. I, I definitely don't feel that it's overrated, but I can totally get, you know, where you're coming from because people do tend to sort of hang on to the whole Vinny saved kiss kind of thing. Uh, so maybe it gets lauded uh, as a great album for those reasons and maybe not for the reasons of songwriting. But I think it's a great album, though. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at my iPhone right here because I haven't gone through and had to pick the different shit songs I want to have. And I think Paul's material shines pretty decent on the album. I like the Exciter, um, a million to one. Um, I love the studio track of Lake It Up. But then, yeah, like Not Pretty Innocent Deck Creatures version with the Paul and Gene training vocals. It's just amazing. But... No, other than that, though, yeah, the uh, other tracks, I'm not too big on Dance All Over Your Face. I think Young and Wasted, I think the definitive version for myself of that track, though, has to be from the Animalized Life um, Uncensored video from 1984 with Eric Carr on vocals. I, I really wish there would have been a version with Eric Carr singing you know, and actually did a great job with the live. Yeah, Eric should definitely have sung on this album, uh, which is a shame, but... Uh... Lick it up. Oh God! I mean, in the '80s, I I never hated the song. In the '90s, it was only when Paul started ruining it with the extended sections live that I really yeah. started to despise that song. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I was surprised with how bold he was on the Rock the Nation tour with Lick It Up with his whole live. I like Shane Beaver and stuff, and I was like, oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> uh, I was 15 at the time. Here comes puberty. <laughs> well, that's better than the Michael Jackson doll. <laughs> all right so i i think uh you're gonna get it <laughs> well we're not kiss fans if you don't agree if yeah you, kiss fans aren't supposed to agree on everything absolutely yeah, that's all right i'm gonna get it too so all right jay open up um i gotta say for me um you know Lonnie, don't smack me. Uh, I think Revenge is Kiss's oh! <laughs> most overrated record. And I don't say that as a slam against Revenge, but I think that people's perception of that record may be, uh, may be tainted. And here's, here's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, you know, it was really a toss-up between that one and Animal Eyes because I think people tend to – some people – especially maybe more passive KISS fans might see Animal Eyes as a greater album than it was because of the single that it spawned. Um, I think Animal Eyes is a terrible record. But I think Revenge is the most overrated. I, I feel... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that it's a bad album. I just think it's overrated. When you break down the material on the, on the album, I think, actually, most of Paul's contributions are actually very weak. Uh, tough Love, Not Feeling It, Man... You know, take it off, maybe. Uh, Heart of Chrome, not so much. Uh, then you got a few of the Gene songs, uh, Paralyzed, just not a great song. It almost seems like it's just an afterthought. Car Jam, sorry. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, anything against Eric, but there's, I can understand the reasons for putting it on there, but I think it detracts from the overall greatness of the record. The Argent cover, um, you know, while it's nice to see Paul and Gene trading off um, because they hadn't done that in so long, um, I just think that it's just cheesy. Um, so, and I just want to, I can't get over the fact that it is so 
close to summertime blues <laughs> that I, every time I hear the song, I start singing summertime blues in my head and it, just on accident just because of the similarities. So I don't know. I mean, apart from Unholy, which I think is freaking just killer, uh, I think Spit is kind of cool because it's got a great groove to it. And I think Thou Shalt Not, for me, is sort of the undiscovered gem on that record. I think Gene's one of Gene's best vocal uh, turns on a Kiss record, and I think it's got killer hooks. But I think Gene pretty much owns that album. I think every time I look at you is also a really, really, really good Paul ballad, much better than Forever, which I thought it would, you know, it hurts my head when I hear that song because Paul sounds like he is literally his nuts are about to explode. Um, <laughs> so it was nice to hear. It was nice to hear him in, in more of a subdued, uh, you know frame of mind on the record but that's just my feelings about revenge you know it's great to have bob ezrin on board it's great to have any vincent there uh contributing to some of the writing i get all that but i think when you strip away all those things that tie that album to maybe some of the classic period and just look at it song by song i think that it is overrated i don't think it's a bad album but i would give it maybe three and a half stars out of five i would definitely not give it four and there is no way in hell it would get five for me that's just my opinion. I'm, t- I'm totally relieved because that was going to be my pick as oh. well. And <laughs> coming back to 1992, I, I remember getting that album and looking at the band and going, what the hell? Um, first, it started visually with them just being so... so it, They just didn't look right, posing, trying to be all hard-ass. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, I felt like they were going for the 14-year-old demographic again with this album. Was thirteen at the time. So you know, you know, there you there, there's the answer. But I hated Unholy. I I just did not wow. like the style of the song. Um, my standout songs on this album were Heart of Chrome, and uh, Every Time I Look at You. I can leave everything else. It is just not, oh, I, I do like God Gave Rock and Roll to You, but the rest of it is just. And again, it was going for a demographic that I had moved out of, and maybe didn't want anything to do with you know it was like like the kids down the block oh here's a kiss album for you oh yeah cool they're wearing leather you know and and looking like motley Crue and dr feelgood era um again that's what i felt they were copying motley Crue's image again and the material i hate car jam 1981 i know why it's on the album it's yeah. just so butchered and wrong to have bruce replacing ace's parts on that instrumental it, w- yeah. it would have been much more honest um to allow Ace's original and the complete version, not just to focus on the drum solo, but again, it, we know why they did it and it makes sense, but I, I, I just don't like it. And I just want to, yeah. I just hate that song. I, I hate it. I just cannot stand it. I just want to turn it off. Um, yeah. and, and, wanna, and the fuh, the fuh, oh, for God's sake, I, it, I don't get it and take it off. And the strippers on the tour No revenge, I do not like. I will never like it. It's got a couple of good songs. It sounds absolutely fantastic for a piece of crap. It is wonderfully produced. Bruce's guitar is insane. If you could take the sound of Revenge and make the demos on Hot in the Shade sound like that, sonically, Hot in the Shade would be a great album. So production-wise, it's fantastic. Guitars, Bruce is like just on fire. Um doing all the right things but the songs are not there it sounds absolutely fantastic for a piece of crap <laughs> that's what i'm taking out of what you just said <laughs> you, you know 
decided to sort of put away the the glitzy glamoury kind of look uh that preceded it i mean i guess they kind of were already in in that process with with hot in the shade but uh, i loved the look of the band when that album came out i thought it was uh refreshing to see them i mean at that point they were totally a non-makeup band anyway um i thought gene probably gene's best look out of makeup um you know, and I remember the world premiere of Unholy on MTV. I had not heard, you know, obviously this is long before the internet, so you know, none of us had heard any leaks of that record until uh, it premiered. For some people, I guess, some people may have seen it or heard it later, but uh, I saw it on an interview when it premiered, and I was blown away. I was just like, holy shit, this is some serious kiss. Um, I love Unholy, but yeah, I just I feel... I feel the album's just maybe um, maybe a little overrated, that's all. I think the three of you are, are all out of your mind, number one. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> it's from the first time I saw the video from Unholy, and I was just blown away. And I think I Just Wanna is a great song. I don't care what three of you say. <laughs> I love it. And I remember playing I Just Wanna when I was a kid. And I was 13 years old and, and singing along to it. And my mom be like, I heard what you were playing up there. And, you know, I don't approve of what you're playing. And I was like, no, mom, mom, you look at the lyrics. It says, I just want to forget about you. They can write whatever they want on those <laughs> lyric sheets. I know what they're saying. And I know what you're listening to up there. Funny. <laughs> I and and. And then the fact that God gave rock and roll to you is on there. Take it off is on there. I'm sorry. When you're 13 years old and your favorite band plays a song called take it off about going to a strip club. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I still think it's fantastic. <laughs> um, I love everything on that record. I love the look of the band. I think they finally achieved the look that they were going for from the beginning when they took off the, the makeup. Um, and I, I, I think the songs are on there are great. Bruce shines on that album. Um, in a way that he doesn't shine on any other Kiss record. I think you really see 
the talent of Bruce Kulick on that record. And yeah. um, for Eric Singer's debut with with Kiss, I think he does a phenomenal job. Also, um, I think the drumming on that on that album is incredible. Um, I think every time I look at you should have been should have spawned the hit that Forever did, and yeah. did. I think I think it's just as good of a song as Forever, if not better. Better, um, in my opinion, yeah. And I. And Paul says that too. That's one of the songs that he thought that would be received a whole lot better than what he did. I, I read an interview with Paul somewhere. Is, is there one song that you thought should have spawned to be a hit that didn't? And he and he said it's every time I look at you. He thought that he thought for sure when he wrote that song that it would be that it would be received the same way forever. Was. Fant- fanta- well, you know, fantastic song and a great video. That's so I I don't know. I don't remember ever seeing the video in 1992 because I'm, all you saw when you watch videos was smells like teen spirit. That was it. So I don't remember ever seeing that video. It was only years later yeah. that I got to even see it. And of course, Dick Wagner's on that song. He plays the, uh, the acoustic guitar solo. Um, and if anyone wants to blame the album on anything else, you know, you got, uh, Jamie St. James and Tommy Thayer on there as well. Uh, singing background vocals with Jesse Damon. Uh, <laughs> I the Tommy Thayer name out there. <laughs> I, I remember basically, I remember being a kid and seeing like the back cover um, of the album and stuff like the picture because they like showed it in the extreme close up. And being a kid, I don't know like what a leather coat was, but I thought they all were like those hefty black trash bags. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really weird. I was like, why is there a trash bag? That's stupid. And then I realized that about leather I don't know. I'm looking at the back cover right now, and I don't know. I think I need to get my prescription changed because I'm thinking Eric looks a little bit like a short Dave Mustaine. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Eric. Um, And, of course, one other weird fact on that album is there's harmonica on that album played by Jimmy Z. Is that paralyzed? I don't know. I I just remember him getting in touch with me and saying, hey, you know, I I blew uh, whatever the horn on that album. So I do not. I've never heard any harmonica on that album. It's very Maybe Horn was like a production assistant's last name. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't talking about an instrument. Wow. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just had to throw that in. And of course, one other uh, kind of cool thing is Eric Singer's not on "Take It Off." That is Kevin Valentine. Kevin Valentine. Yep. So, so we. I, I guess we kill two birds with one stone with that album. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm going to move into what I think is the most highly underrated uh, makeup album. And I surprised myself with this one. When I sat down and thought about it for the 30 seconds it took, um, I'm going to hold up the album. Years on, and we are now, what, 17 years on from Psycho Circus being released. I think it is underrated and I think I've, I'm finally able to get over the drama of Ace and Peter not being involved on the album. And I, I think that's where a lot of my diversion for the album originally came from once I found out because I, I don't have enough of a musical ear to be able to tell you, Oh, that's not Peter Chris playing drums when I first heard it, or that's not Ace playing guitar. I just don't have the musical vocabulary uh, to recognize those sorts of things. And people may be shouting, shame on you, shame on you. You should immediately know it's not Ace and Peter, but I didn't know. But once we started hearing the stories, it really colored my opinion of the album. And I think unfairly. Um, you look at what Paul and Gene did, and and Tommy as well, for that matter, since he's all over it on guitar, and I think Kevin Valentine on drums, 
There is such a lot of good material for what they were trying to do with Bruce Fairburn. I don't like the production tremendously. It's a little bit too sterile. Again, you know, it sounds like Crazy Nights or uh, maybe Unmasked. But the material and the story that they're trying to tell with the songs, a great opening track like Psycho Circus. Yeah, it's like Detroit Rock City, King of the Nighttime World all over again. A very, like visual kind of storytelling song but it's a really cool track now i listened to it in in vegas being played again um it's cinematic the video's crap but it, it's it's a very good song i pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll i love it. It, it it's a great anthem as is raise your glasses even if it got tied in with those god-awful 3d uh, glasses for the tour that never worked properly for me um yeah. You know, it's just a fun anthem, dreaming. I don't care if it sounds like 18 or they thought it sounds like 18. I thought it was a really good lyric, a very good riff, a, a really cool song. And Journey of a Thousand Years, there's Gene again, going all cinematic. You're tying in the Psycho Circus riff at the end, drawing the whole album together. And I, I don't think Into the Void, people hate on it saying it's like a not a very good ace track. I think it's a great ace track. I think it's a better song of singing about the spaceman than when lightning strikes or Tommy's other one, you know, it's ace doing it. And no matter whether it was shaping sharpshooter and it needed a lot of help, whatever, I don't care. I think it's great. The only song I hate on this album is within. I cannot stand that song. And then you get the dorky kind of, we are one. Well, when they weren't, so what? It's a really cool Beatles type of track that I want to hear more of Gene doing that sort of material. Um, I finally found my way. I I will uh, you know plead the fifth and refuse to say anything about that because there's nothing worth saying. It's uh, absolute crap. Um, but looking back now, I, I look at these songs and I I think Psycho Circus the song can be considered um, a classic. I think it's definitely a classic. I don't. I'm not as hard on that album as I think a lot of Kiss fans are. You know, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the originals. That was where my love affair with the band started. So yeah, I was pissed when I found out that it really wasn't truly a, you know, a reunion record. But, but still, distancing myself from those emotions and looking at it strictly from um, a material point of view, I definitely think that. Um, Psycho Circus is, is underrated for sure. You know, I wouldn't put it up in the, maybe necessarily my top five Kiss albums for sure. No, no. Uh, maybe my top ten, though. Uh, but I think there's a lot of great songs on there. Maybe, to me, maybe the only issue uh, with that album that I have is that there's too many, there's too many rallying cry, uh, it's us against the world kind of messages in those songs. So there seems to be, maybe it's a little redundant in places as far as lyrically, but, uh, man, I'll tell you what, if they had added, in my opinion, if they had put, um, it's my life on there and taken out, maybe, uh, I finally found my way. Although I don't have huge issues with that song, but it's nice to hear Peter sing again. Um, but you know, maybe pull that song out or within, um, or even dreaming, uh, in my opinion, those are all kind of weak songs for me. Put that It's My Life in there, oh my God, that would have elevated that album at least a half star, if not a full star for me. Um, so that's maybe my only regret about uh, Psycho Circus, but definitely, definitely an underrated record for sure. I remember being in the car and uh, 
it was it was like that pivotal moment when I was a genius as a kid and recognized voices of people. And I remember like hearing, uh, I finally found my way to my dad had to pay for like, yeah, this is Jeff. And he's like, yeah, it is. It's a new album. And I was like, what? We got something new. Like, awesome. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was super, it was just exciting. I never liked you one of the best. I, I don't like that little, uh, 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 I always thought that was really weird. Um, I agree with you. Like, if they could take out you one of the best, and so it's my life in that spot. Oh, it would have been a solid album, I think. Um, it, just for that one track, I'm just like, I mean, it was cool to have a track with all four members singing. I definitely, that was, yeah, was definitely a cool thing it did there. But uh, that was the other one I didn't like. But I always thought it was kind of fun, at least for myself, you know, after reading about, you know, Tommy Thayer playing on Psycho Circus. When Kiss did, I pledged allegiance to the state in Australia in 2004. And I was like, this is the most accurate performance of any song from Psycho Circus now because you've got Tommy Thayer. And Paul and Gene up there and stuff, so that was kind of funny. Um, I'd love to see them do that song live in a show again. Um, and Psycho Circus, it's just it's a really cool song. I mean, um, I thought the little town music intro and stuff, they, they, they would go for something really cool. And like you said, we like Journey of a Thousand Years, that like epic kind of closing everything together, which is super, super cool. And, and then tying in that riff to Psycho Circus at the end of it was good. And um, I will say, I not a big fan of what's in either, though I did like that alternate version that one can find on YouTube. It would have like the, the words at the beginning that they were taken out. I thought that was kind of a cool version you could find on YouTube of what's in. Yeah, there's a ton of alternate versions that, you know, people call them demos. They're not there. They're from the sessions. They're just uh, different takes and there's some, you know, different lyrics and raise raise your glasses. I didn't mention In Your Face, which, is, of course, was the, the bonus track, but I agree with Jay on It's My Life uh, and we've sung its praises before. One high point I, I will say about I Finally Found My Way is Paul singing with Peter on that, of course, uh, which I don't think happened on any other album. I don't know. In my opinion, I... I just think Psycho Circus followed, like, it was the first album to follow, like, a formula. Like, okay, you know, we're going to start off with the Paul song, you know, the, the really strong Paul song with Psycho Circus. And we're going to, well, Ace is going to sing the, the space song, and Peter's going to sing the ballad. And, you know, it's it's we're going to follow the Destroyer model for this and, and make it Destroyer Part 2. And it, it to me... Kiss fans got to have different opinions. To me, it just really falls short for me. And I was 19 when this album came out, and I was really, really looking forward to it. And when I first heard Psycho Circus on the radio in the summer of 98, I thought, wow, that's I'm going to get an album like this. I was re I just really maybe even more excited than I already was. And, you know, the I, I think the fact, the fact that they chose a song for Peter to sing that Paul has to sing with him in order for it to achieve what they wanted it to is like, could we not arrange the song differently? And I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a musician, but could we not have arranged the song differently that we didn't have to have Paul help Peter out? Or could we have picked a different track? I mean, not that. Why are we so stuck on using this song that we had to have Paul help him with it? You know, wasn't wasn't there another ballad brought in if we wanted Peter so desperately to sing a ballad? You know, do we have to have Paul singing with him? And I think you wanted the best, you got the best. It's just a load of crap. I I think it's just <laughs> I think it's just desperation that we 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 wanted we wanted i think it part of another formula we want a song where we have all four members of the band singing so we can say that it's all four original members back together and we could it's crap i don't like it at all and i think some of those demos that came out 
like uh, like Body and Soul or I Want to Rule the World, I think are much better than some of the tunes that ended up on that album, like like Dreamin' and like Finally Found My Way and You Wanted the Best. I, I think those could be replaced with some of those demos, and I think it would have been a much stronger album than what they turned out. And yeah, I was just, I'm not a, I didn't know when the album came out that, that it wasn't the original four. And, and then I heard that it, it wasn't, and I didn't want to believe it. And because I was so into the, the four being back together, I just didn't want to believe the rumors initially that it wasn't them. But, you know, I, I think it's obvious and you go back and listen to it now. And, and not only is it obvious, but you know, they've come out and said that it's not original four. It's Kevin Valentine. It's Tommy Thayer. Um, but to me, the album does fall short. I don't, I don't think it's, um, underappreciated. I think it's, I think it is what it is. See, I'll agree with you on you wanted the best. Um, I hate that ending of Paul faking the British accent. Oh yeah, that, that really sucks. that just He's makes faking like they're getting along. That that Hell yeah, it, it's it's yeah. just so contrived. But that they're always laughing like oh, we're just one big happy family living in and the same like, house. They're that, like the parasite riff at the end. Oh yeah. But that just reminds me of a Sex Pistols song where at the end of that, they're kind of mocking the Beatles and I hope we pass the audition, you know, and trying to do the Beatles accent. That just reminds me of that, but it's just so, you know, that whole, uh, and it was such a stupid choice for a single. Um, but, okay, you know, sim- simple, simple as that. My, my opinion of this album has increased over the years as I've gotten over it. Real quick, Julian, didn't? Peter, didn't he try to bring the song Hope, which was on one Yeah, he did. That was one of the songs he brought, and he put it on his album. And it's, I, I don't see the difference, really, between Hope and I Finally Found My Way, other than the song. <laughs> other, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and other than the songwriting credits that would have gone with it, because one's written by Paul Stanley and Bob Ezrin, and the other isn't. So, you know, did he... Did he have a choice? And he also brought in one written with Tommy Thayer called Together. Um, so, you know, what could have been? Now we hear Body and Soul. I know absolutely why that wasn't included, because uh, I think that is dreadful. That's right up there with some of the worst Kiss-related songs we've been, uh, I guess, fortunate to hear. But, you know, It's My Life, definitely. Should have been on the album and could yeah. have changed it. Okay. But. But again, for being an album that I think is underrated, I'm surprised I do. I, when I was thinking about it, I kind of amazed myself that I was able to say anything positive about Psycho Circus other than being the first album I ever downloaded in advance off the internet. I think that was the first one that leaked for Kiss fans, so r- really cool. Yeah. So it, it, it's aged well and probably sounds a bit better for me personally now than it did. All right, so... Out of the circus, let's go back to Alex for, I think, your last pick. I guess my underrated, um, I guess the underrated non-makeup album for me, and it's uh, another album that has like a, a huge divide, uh, Carnival of Souls. I think um, that's mine too. It's definitely, it's, um, I'll give it, it's not your regular kiss album, I'll give it that. I'm sure I was then trying to be with the time. But I think just the, if you put that aside, even if you just put away the kiss aspect of it and just put on the album to listen to a good hour's worth of music, it's a great album. Uh, Bruce Kulich's writing and, and playing on there is excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, now you read Paul's, you know, you know, biography and he, you know, kind of talked about what his thing to do and stuff. But I think it's, I think it's a great album. I remember, um, picking it up in high school. Um, 
I got a drum in it. I was all excited. I felt like super cool, like these cool guys, the cool kids collection, just wear things. And I got a German issue and stuff. And even got my copy signed by Bruce in 2008. And we talked about one of my favorite albums. And uh, he was super cool with it on that aspect. So I think it's a great album. I think um, I love Jungle. Um, I love uh, Hate and Rain, the first few tracks. Master and Slave. I think it's, a, it's such a cool track. Uh, especially the whole part where, um, where Paul's like, wake up and start and you think he's going to say scream but instead he actually screams I think that's like one of like the funniest like trolling moments of a kiss song there um and he totally kind of gets you on that and uh I, I love I Walk Alone I think it's a, a great track with Bruce singing it um there's a great live version that Bruce did with that song uh with Union Live at the Galaxy excellent live version of the song and I think the only track I don't I wasn't a huge fan of was um In My Head that one's kind of like a little bit weird with just like the the lyrics and stuff. But other than that, I think it's a great underrated album. Um, I was disappointed with the vinyl release. Um, the packaging on that was pissed poor. Um, it's a good album. Hey, you know, how much effort were they going to put in for an album that's going to sell 10 copies? I guess so. I mean, if you remember too, Julian, I think I, I mentioned on the Kiss FAQ message board, the fact that on, on the Carnival Souls on the spine it had a Casablanca Records logo on it. And <laughs> yeah. it was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even notice that, but Carnival for Souls for me, uh, yeah, it can stay where it is. I think it sounds absolutely dreadful. If uh, Psycho Circus is Destroyer 2, Carnival of Souls is like hotter than hell 2 for a bad-sounding Kiss record. Yeah. Um, however, as far as it goes, for me, other than people say Revenge was Gene's comeback album. I think this is Gene's comeback album. It, all of his songs, uh, with the exception of In My Head, are absolutely insanely good. I mean, Seduction of the Innocent and I Confess. I absolutely love I Confess. Um, I, this was really more... The first album that I really felt Gene was better than Paul. Um I don't think I Walk Alone is a good song in any way, and I don't think it did Bruce any favors as his vocal debut. Um, but I think Bruce on this album is stunning again, just as yeah. you kind of expect. It, it, the guitars on this just need to have production qualities applied to it. If it, Again, I've said it for Revenge and Hot in the Shade. Well, if Carnival of Souls had the crisp and clear production values of Revenge... It would be a way better album, but instead it sounds like it's in a box. The drums in particular sound just terrible on that record. I think there's too much compression and, and limiting on that record, so it sounds very boxy. And, it, you know, I've actually had to go in and use audio, audio editing software to widen the stereo spectrum and, you know, give it maybe a little more high end because it does seem kind of, it's not so much that it's bottom heavy, it's just that it's muffled. Mm -hmm. um, and once I kind of decrapped the sound uh, with my trusty Adobe Audition, I actually got the sound pretty good, at least to my ears. And I agree with you, I think Gene owns that record. Um, I think Childhood's Zen might very well be the best thing Gene has written without makeup, at least in my opinion. Uh, since the makeup era, I think Childhood Zen is such a well-written song, and I think I Confess and Seduction of the Innocent as well are both great songs. They're very stylistically diverse, very different from uh, I think what most of you know. Gene usually doesn't put a whole lot of thought into songs, uh, and I may not, maybe I can't credit Gene for being 
maybe more uh, thoughtful as far as constructing those songs because there were other guys involved, uh, and maybe they they should take the credit for that. I don't know, but just the end product, those three songs, I think, um, are standouts for that record. So I agree with you there. Gene definitely, I think, owns the record, and I don't have an issue with "I Walk Alone." I think you know I'm not crazy about. It's not Bruce isn't a great singer, but I absolutely love uh, the chiming guitars that sort of run through that song, uh, especially the some of the backward uh, tracking there on the record. I think I think it's cool, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the album. It's not it's not a bad album, but it's just to me, it's not a Kiss album. It doesn't feel like one. I really like it. I I it's it's I think it's very underrated. I totally agree with Alex. Um, the sheer aggression with how the album starts with hate is just when, when they were writing that album, I remember them saying that oh, it's going to pick up where, where revenge left off and hate picks up where revenge left off. In my opinion, it's just, just hard crunching guitars and just very, very aggressive um, with, with a, with a strong gene song, song to start the record, just like revenge uh, and and coming back with Rain and Master and Slave, I, I really dug Master and Slave, you know. Um, and it's one of those albums that, you know, I, that you ha- I had the bootleg of it before the official release came out, as I'm sure a lot of people did, because it, it was so heavily leaked. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I still enjoy it today. I think Jungle is phenomenal. Uh, it's a Paul song. You guys are raving about, about Gene's songs, but I, I think Jungle is, is fantastic. And I think um, going back, Master and Slave, I, I, I really like that tune, and um, I, I I just think it's really strong, and it it, it got d- dismissed immediately upon its release for being oh it's, it's Kiss following a trend with with being a grunge record, and it, it was you know it, it wasn't even hardly promoted at all when it was released because I think the record company felt like they had to release it because it was so heavily bootlegged, and. I remember going to Best Buy when it came out, and Best Buy didn't even have it. I had to go to another lo- I had to go to. I had to go search it out after school that day because my Best Buy down the street from my house didn't even have it, and I couldn't believe it. Um, but I I really enjoyed that album, and, and that was my album I was going to pick as a underappreciated non makeup album. Um, I, I I just I love the aggression on it. I, yeah, it's, it's it's aggressive, and but hate's like a poor uh, facsimile of unholy for me. And jungle, I mean, go listen to Deep Purple's "You Fool No One." I mean, it, it's you know, if I want to sing the praises of a Paul song on that album, I'm going to pick "I Will Be There," which is I just think an absolutely fantastic song. But everything else on it, and you know, I, I remember when phonogram or whatever the uk uh, label was that sent me my copies um i was looking forward to it. i was like oh this is going to sound better than the bootlegs as everyone and their dog had by then and then it sounded just as bad just as like the, the, you know that was just like the bootlegs. That, that was one of the lowest yeah. moments here we are you know i thought okay it's been leaked uh you know here comes the official release and yeah it was thrown out there packaging really is pretty basic I'm glad they released it. Um, it would have been a, a terrible waste uh, to not get, you know, some money for it. But uh, doesn't hold up particularly well. And I, I don't think it sounds anything like Alice in Chains. They didn't down tune or do yeah. the, do the harmonies like Alice in Chains. That's more of a insult to Alice in Chains than it, it is a compliment <laughs> to Kiss copying anyone. Yeah, I just I think Paul as a singer 
is his style is so at odds with the dark, creepy vibe that I think he tried to go for in some of those songs. Um, it just sounds to me. I mean, if if this had been a Gene solo album, I would totally have loved it. But Paul just seems so uncomfortable in places. Um, Master and Slave. I think Paul sounds really uncomfortable in places. Just he's trying to be all. You know, I don't. I don't know. It just it that doesn't fit to me, at least how I see Paul Stanley as as a performer and as a singer. So it just maybe it's maybe it's just so different. That's why I, I'm not crazy about it. But yeah, I I definitely think that um, it kind of deserves to be where it is. Bottom of the barrel, <laughs> Paul Stanley, the preacher, the rock and roll party guy, doing stuff like in the mirror. Rain. I think it's going to rain. Rain down on. I mean, come on, it's just so depressing. Yeah. I mean, you need to, almost need to have therapy after listening to it. <laughs> it's definitely I'm, dark. I thought we weren't going to talk about this, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on from Carnival Assaults. Who's left? Because I've lost track. I don't. Uh... I, I didn't really put a lot of thought into the uh, the other. I guess I didn't realize that we were doing the makeup, non makeup kind of thing. So Surprise. I didn't really have a backup plan. But thinking about it, uh, and it'll be you know, good thing is it won't take but just a second. Is I kind of agree with you in that for underrated non makeup album, I would say Asylum for sure. Um, I don't hate the album. I actually like it quite a lot. It may be up there with. Uh, my non-makeup albums. Yeah, there's some fluff in there. I, I, I'm not crazy about Love's a Deadly Weapon. Um, I, I, you know, but I think Secretly Cruel, for me, that song, especially in hindsight, because at the time I didn't really pay much attention to it, but uh, over the years I've looked back, and if there's any one moment in the 80s that I feel like Kiss reconnected with the classic sound, it would be Secretly Cruel. To me, that song is... Sounds like it could have been lifted off of the Love Gun record, or uh, maybe even uh, maybe even uh, Destroyer. Uh, not production wise, but just writing, uh, songwriting. But I think Asylum, you know, catches maybe a little flack because of the look that accompanied that record, and of course the hideous cover art. I mean, got to be one of the absolute worst in the Kiss canon. But I think this, I think the album for the most part is pretty strong. I've never been real crazy about the singles from that record. Um, you know, who wants to be lonely or tears are fallen. They're okay. I can see how they have crossover appeal. I can see why those were chosen as singles, but I'm not particularly fond of them. I do see some parallels again between it and animalize. Anyway, you slice it, burn, bitch, burn. Um, so maybe there is a bit of a cut and paste as far as, um, their approach to the record, but I think the production's better. I think the guitar playing's better. Um, and I think the arrangements are more compact and, and tighter. I think there's more hooks on the record. So yeah, I'll go with your I'll go with your Asylum for sure. I think probably, that's the underrated makeup uh, non makeup record. For probably sure. a big mistake to have uh, put the the band's auras on their lipstick on that album cover, assigning Bruce Blue and Eric Green. Uh, yeah, you know, probably the first time they really skirted with uh, you know danger. But one uh -huh. thing, you know, if they'd packaged this up 
and brought back like the dynasty straight jackets and, yes. done, and done a photo shoot in a, uh, you know, in a padded cell, just like Motley Crue and Dr. Feelgood. If, if you've right. ever seen inside that album, if they'd done that sort of thing for asylum, it would have number one made more sense with the album title rather than you know, Paul picking up the visuals of that motels album cover and saying, Oh, that's a really cool color palette or style or whatever. But one thing, if you go out onto YouTube and hopefully it's still up there, there's this uh, guy called double Virgo who does a yes. reinterpretation of, I think, Love's a Deadly Weapon, or is it Secretly, Secretly cool? Cruel? Secretly Cool. And that has got to be one of the best cover versions of a song done by anyone at any time. And the video this guy put together, he plays all the instruments on it, is absolutely insanely cool. And he so it's a, an 85 song with a 70s vibe. Go out onto YouTube yeah. and find that. That is absolutely awesome. One of the best things I've ever seen done by fan. And he has their isms down too, you know, like the gene with the like, kind of like demon. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the guys on the board, uh, or maybe, I don't know if it was uh, done by him, who's posted the alternative cover of Asylum, you know, he kind of black and whited it, and, you know, some of the stuff fans do is really cool, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, someone else can at least find something positive to say about Asylum. Thank you. Checks in the post. <laughs> I don't. All right, guys, we've, uh, we've gone through a pick. Any last words on underrated, overrated? Be happy with what you like to listen to. You know, don't pay attention to our opinions. You know. Yeah, you got to like what you got to like, and I, I think you also got to be willing to go back and listen to something with cl with clear ears. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm still kind of shocked that I picked Psycho Circus. I'm kind of shocked that I bagged on Revenge as much as I did. I am too. And I'm, I'm shocked <laughs> that you bagged on Love Gun. I, I was I was hoping to deflect <laughs> anything else on Love Gun, but uh, you know, there we are. I think uh, we can probably wrap this up. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you as always for thank joining. You. Um, thank you. Everyone out there, if you're listening uh, or watching on YouTube, uh, we are always open to get new faces on the FAQ podcast. You know, we want to be about the board and represent everyone um, and all the opinions that you've got. So, get in touch if you want to come on the on the show. We're going to keep talking about all the sorts of things KISS fans do. So thank you all for joining us today. Um, be well. See you next time. Bye now. Right all right, guys. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, everyone.